You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. Pray with me if you would, then we'll be in Exodus chapter 3. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. When we are able to say, Heavenly Father, it is a gift for us to be able to say those words. And on this one day a year when we recognize our fathers, man, what a great day for us to, as a congregation, gather together and be able to say, you are a good father, provider, protector, caregiver. You watch over us. You allow us to stumble. You allow us to scrape our knee to learn numerous lessons. You know all things you know us, and you desire for us to know you as well. So, Father, I, I do, I pray for every father in this room that as we work through this text, they would see the standard that is the Father God, and yet that they would be able to say, I know I fall short of that standard, but through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, though I have not achieved an identity in God, I can receive an identity in God and I can be the kind of father. I can be the kind of mother, the son, the daughter, the student, the worker, the whatever it is that we do, I can do that in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that those are the kind of people we would be. And if we're not, I pray that they're the kind of people that we want to be. And uh, Father, that you would meet us. I, I know that you are already here amongst us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move. I fully believe that there is no one sitting in a chair or on a bench that you do not have something for this morning. I, I, I think, if anything, we are the greatest hindrance to ourselves because you want to bless us. You want to draw us into relationship with you. You want to show us freedom from our sin, from our brokenness, from the difficulties of this world All of that is surrounded and encompassed by the greatness of our God. I am who is, was, and will be forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 3, if you would, we are working through the book book of Exodus. Let me do a real quick temp check. Who is cold? All right. I didn't. Last week, they were cold people. See, this week, not so much. We'll leave the fans going the way that they are. Exodus chapter 3. Now, because it's a narrative... I'm going to take a big chunk, so if you're feeling a little antsy, go ahead and shake it off, because I'm going to read about 10 verses in a row. Everybody ready? Here we go. It'll be behind me. There are Bibles uh, amidst the chairs near your feet as well. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God. Now, real quick pause. You'll see Horeb here. Later on in our text, we'll see that it's not just called Horeb, but it's called Mount. Anybody? Bonus points? You're not going to get this one wrong, I think. Unless you say like Mount McKinley or Pikes Peak. I think you're pretty safe here. Where are we at? Mount Sinai. Now, the reason we see Horeb and Sinai is not because the biblical authors were confused, but because Horeb refers to a region. If somebody says, where did you go to church? And you say, oh, I went out to church out in Ellerslie, you're correct. If you say, I went to Midtree, you're also correct. You're just being more specific. So here we are at the foot of Mount Sinai where one day God is going to stand before Moses when he has done what he's about to say he's going to do, and he's going to give him the Ten Commandments. So here we go. Verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked. And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said to himself, self, I will turn aside to see this great sight, 
why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. Real quick pause. I don't know if you noticed this, but in Exodus chapter 2, which we were reading last week, the, uh, God's word tells us that God's people cried out for help. Interestingly enough, it doesn't say to him. All we read about in Exodus 2 is that they got to the point, and many of us have probably gotten into this place, whether it be at a final or with a kid that just threw up all over the floor or something like that, where we just say, oh, help me. All right, like... God's people are crying out, but what is so unique about this text is not only is God going to know them, he's going to call them to know him as well. They're going to know exactly who to cry out to as they go forward, and so will we. Where did I stop? Verse 9? Yeah. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. That you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Lily, one of the things that, I, I know you didn't plan this. Maybe you did. I don't know. One of the things that is so obvious about the text that we're reading is that God is about to call his people, specifically through Moses, to a level of closeness that since the garden we haven't really seen. The reason I bring that up, Lily, is you talked about closeness. But then from that closeness, God is going to look at Moses and he says, Hey, I know this. I've seen this. I've heard this. I'm going to fix this and I'm going to send you to do it. So from this closeness comes this calling for those of us who have been in the presence of God to be about the business of God. And this is what's really great. Lily, then you said, I found a home. And I just want you to know, every Christmas, every break, we still want to be home to you. And God is about to tell his people, I am going to bring you home to the land of the all you sites. I, I, I had a bunch of them. And it's going to be an awesome place. A land flowing with milk and honey, which today we're like, I got milk and honey. Like, that's not that big a deal. Just check out my fridge. Back then, milk and honey, that's how well we have it. That God's like, milk and honey. And they're like, yes. And you're like, I've got that right now. Don't worry. God, God can handle all of our neediness and whatever it takes. But here's what I want you to realize. If you would go ahead and look in verse 7. Everybody flip or, uh, Bruner, if you'll, you'll pop it up to verse 7. The, the title of this sermon is Knowing a Knowing God. 
one of the things that we very quickly see is that even if God's people doubted, and for 80 years we know of, they were in great duress, God looks at them and he says, I have seen, I have heard, and I know you, my people, and your suffering. He then goes on to say, I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to bring you up. Now, this is massive. And, and let me tell you why this is massive. Go ahead and throw those three big words up. There is not a soul that you have ever met or will meet, including your own, that is not sitting in one of these three categories. Now, many times we bounce back and forth if we have responded to the gospel, we have put our faith and our trust in Christ, we have repented of our sins. A lot of times, please listen to this word, we feel like we are bouncing between one and two, okay? Sometimes I'm going through suffering. Sometimes I'm going through deliverance. But the way that I want to explain this to you is in theological, not emotional terms, right? I have been rescued by the grace of God. Does that mean I cannot go through suffering? No, but this suffering that I'm referring to is an eternal type of a suffering, an unending type of a suffering. So let's just play this out. You can think about yourself. You can think about someone that you love. You can think about somebody you're praying for. You can think about somebody in utero. It doesn't matter. All of us are in one of these three places and they only move in that direction. Every one of us, according to God's word, are born into suffering. We're born into a world that is not the way God created it to be. And because we're born into a world that is not the way God created it to be, as soon as a baby comes out, the first thing they do is start crying, and mine have not stopped yet. So unless y'all have a different experience, that is where we are. Now, God's people in the book of Exodus are very much in this suffering as they are waiting to have an encounter with God. Here's what I love, 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 and please don't miss this. Two things. One, if you are not a Christian... And let me define my terms. If you have not repented of your sins, if you have not apologized to God for the sinfulness of your life, if you have not said, I am putting my hope in the life that Christ lived on my behalf, the death that he died that I should have, that is what it requires for you to move from suffering to deliverance. Because what God guarantees is this. If you repent of your sins and trust in Christ, I will remove you from that eternal suffering, and deliver you from the consequences of your sin. Are we still going to have suffering in this world? Yes, absolutely. But positionally, theologically, before God did Lee, we are delivered from that. Okay, now I'm talking to Christians in this room. Christians, here's where we mess this up. Deliverance is not brought up. You see, when God rescues us from brokenness, he doesn't just move us from, uh, let, let, um, he doesn't just move us from the brokenness of sin into this vanilla environment where you have no longer done bad, so now all the bad is gone, now walk through this just sort of vanilla nothingness. No, he says, I'm going to go a step further. Not only am I going to remove the bad, I'm going to give you the good that you couldn't create in and of yourself through my spirit and through my son, and I'm going to go a step further. I'm not just going to take you out. Let me do it this way. I'm not just going to take you out of bad. 
I'm going to place you into something really good. Here's the thing. We're not here yet. You're sweating, okay? I don't know if we sweat in heaven, but I am right now, and it feels a little bit not like complete deliverance to me, okay? So God removes us from suffering, yes, and then he promises he will not just take away the bad, but he will give us something very good in our text, a land flowing with milk and honey. Christian, this middle place is where we live. It is the smallest place for some of us that we will live because it is only a handful of decades. If you respond to the gospel, you're not going to live to be 2,000 years old. You're going to die, most of us, in our 70s, 80s, or 90s. And when that happens, then we move from being delivered to being brought up into the land of milk and honey. Here's the big question. Which one are you acting like you're living in? Because what I have found is I can be here but be thinking so much of there that I'm pretty useless here. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Every morning you wake up, and I'm only referring to Christians right now. Every morning you wake up, you have been delivered from suffering into that deliverance. But because you woke up, God has not called you home. He has not brought you up. So if God has delivered you from brokenness but has not called you up, he has a reason for you to be here today and tomorrow and every time your beautiful little head pops up off the pillow. And I spent so much, I fight spending so much of my life just wanting to be there and being glad that I'm not there that I forget to live here. Now, a lot of times God puts it right in your face. I wake up and there are four little people yelling and screaming, disciple me. That's not what they're saying, but it's what they're saying, right? It's what they're saying with their actions, whether they're saying it with their words. And, and so very quickly I wake up and I'm like, all right, I got a job to do. But I'm not going to lie, it's easier now than it was when I was in college. When I was in college, I woke up most of the time. Sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I just made it all the way to prices. Not prices, right? Uh, what is it? Come on. No, prices, right. Bob Barker, yeah. Brrr. Sometimes that would be my alarm clock. And when that happened, I just reminded myself that C's get degrees and nobody checks your GPA after you get out of college. So I would wake up to that and I'm not going to lie. College was a hard time. There was much less accountability. There was much more freedom. And I had to remind myself, men, women in the workplace, you walk into that job and you can feel like you're here, even if you've been delivered here. But the moment you punch in, I had a job where I actually had to do that one time. Uh, you actually punch in. All you're thinking about is deliver me, like bring me up. God has you there for a reason. And he's going to make that very, very clear. And I think one of the things that we have to remember is this. God called Moses. He, he looks at him and he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses walks close. And God says, here's my plan of deliverance. Oh, and you're going to be a part of it. You, all the days of your life until I call you home, have a mission. An incredibly important mission to do. And this is where I find incredible, incre if you need encouragement this morning, here you go. God looked at a guy who was a murderer, convicted, under threat, like old school Robin Hood, 
Have you seen this man, 50 shekels of gold type of a deal that he had run from the charge which was true of him and threat was placed upon him? Not only that, he was an abandoner. He, he had abandoned his family in Egypt. He had also abandoned his blood family of Israel. He didn't even have a people. If you question if God can use you in this middle place, let me just say, if God can use a convicted, non-sentenced or caught murderer, if he can use an abandoner, a deserter of his own people and his own culture, God can definitely use you. And I think that's why God enjoys showing, up, showing off so much. I think he shows off all the time. And when he picked Moses, it wasn't like Moses was like, makes, a, makes a, a lot of sense, right? I mean, I've been waiting for this burning bush. I'm super holy. I've been doing my whole deal. No, Moses like, is like, who am I to do this? Think about Paul. Paul had to be the cockiest guy on the planet. And God's like, I'm going to use you. But first, I got to slap you off a donkey and blind you. And then he's like, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. I'm nothing. You're everything. That is Exodus chapter 3. I'm nothing. You're everything. And that's, I think, what God is going to show. All right. Here's, uh, here's where I think conviction. I'm going I'm to twist the knife of conviction. Moses wasn't just a convicted murderer and a, a deserter of his people. If you remember, he had also found a cushy little life in the country before God called him. Moses had figured out in his own devices how to get away from his own junk. That is what we are experts at. And when God called him, Moses was hanging out with little wifey, with, with father-in-law Jethro, who's a really good father-in-law, all sorts of, 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 of what do you call it? Sisters-in-law, just like Erware. There's six other ones. And he is off in Midian, away in his cushy little country house. And that's where God calls him. You see, God doesn't only use murderers, convicted people who say, I don't feel like I have anything to give. He gets in the face, I'm looking at me as I'm looking at you, of comfortable country living folks and he says your life is not about your comfort your life is about the mission that I have called you to and that I think is for almost every one of us in this room and the reason that I say that is if if someone were to come to this country and follow me around follow us around and they were only taught two words comfort and mission I bet they would say of me that I am driven more by comfort than by mission. If they only knew two words, they would look at me and they would say, yeah, that guy's, whether they felt good or bad about it, that guy is driven by comfort, not by mission. And I think we should feel indicted in that. Every one of us who, who lives this life, and it's just the air we breathe, guys. I'm going to get a pop-up in 20 minutes about some new show on Netflix or Amazon telling me you'd be so much happier with this weighted blanket or whatever it is. And you know what my initial thought is? I would be happier. And not only would I be happier, I should be happier. 
And until the spirit of God begins fighting, until I say, whoa, 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 who am I? Then all I do is run out after comforts. And what we see in Moses is his who am I very quickly turns into who do you think you are? God. That's what it ultimately becomes. Point number one for us to consider. Go ahead and throw it up there, Bruner. I'm a little behind on my stuff. Point number one, God delights in and finds glory in redeeming and using an unlikely people. Doesn't matter which side of that paradigm you are on. Whether you feel like you are too busted, too dirty, too sinful, man, does God want to use you the way he used Moses. Whether you feel like I'm too comfortable, it'd be too hard for me to do something big for the Lord, man, does he want to use some comfy, living on the side of a country road type people just like he did Moses. None of us escape that once we have moved from suffering to deliverance. Also, let's go back to the beginning of this text. Look in verse 4. I don't know if you picked up on this, but I find it a little bit funny. Verse 4 says, when the Lord saw that he, I lost my point. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. All right, so picture it in your head. Big flame, bush is still green, little bizarre. Moses catches his eye. This is what fires do. They draw us in. Uh, we, we uh, We were camping last week, and a couple of nights ago, there was a fire. And what happens, we're like moths, man. Like we, we think we're autonomous beings, but we're not as autonomous as we think we are because as soon as the fire comes and the s'mores start getting past, you know, it's just this real, uh, you can fight it, but you're going to end up there. And, and we go to fire in the dark because it produces light. We go to the fire uh, in the cold because it produces heat and s'mores sound really good. What a good way to get to bed at night, except for some sugar and sugar on carb sandwiches. And so that's what we do. And, and, and a couple of nights ago, everybody was drawing around. So Moses sees this fire, and he is drawn to it, as any of us would be. And God calls out to him, Moses, Moses. There's no question. It wasn't like Moses and Kyle were there, and the bush said, hey. And they're looking at each other. No. God is saying, you. Hey, I said your name twice. Moses, come over here. And then the ne- what's the next thing God says? It, you can look. Moses, Moses, and then what does God say? Whoa, 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 whoa. Have you thought about that? Like, Moses is doing his thing. I'm going to go to the wilderness, to the west of Horeb. That sounds fun today. All of a sudden, a fire. He notices it. Hey, Moses, Moses, takes a step. Stop, 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 stop. Like, that's a little bizarre. God is calling him and then saying, whoa, 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 not too close. I wrestle in my own walk with the Lord of knowing how much freedom to have in my relationship with God because I know for a fact he is all powerful and yet he is all loving. I know that he is everywhere at all times knowing all things and I know that he is intimately acquainted with all my ways and knows every one of the hairs on my head. How can comfortable can I be with a God who is that powerful but also that close and I think what God puts on display is this beautiful tension for us that we should be close with God but not casual you see God wants Moses to be close to him he wants a personal relationship with him but he doesn't want Moses to be casual 
or flippant. And, and, and let me define what I mean by that. I think when we become casual with God, we stop being grateful. We lose our respect for him. And, and we just say, he's there today, he's there tomorrow, whatever. He's going to love me. I'll get saved later. Or I'll fix this sin later. Yeah, he'll be there, but you may not be. He is an all-powerful, holy God. There are two ways that I want us to see this. God is above us, and God is among us. This is what we see, that God is both at the same time, in the same place, completely above and completely among his people. Isaiah 6-2 puts it this way. Bruno, I'm going to read off the screen if you don't mind, so I don't, I don't have to lose my spot. Above him stood the seraphim, holy angels who stand before God, for all time, each had six wings, since they were created, each had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. What does this tell me? That the seraphim, who I would argue are more holy than you and me, stand before God and cover their eyes and their feet because God is above them. He is holy. And just to teach us so that we're growing in our Bible, growing in our theology. The theological word for this is transcendent. God is above us. He transcends time, space, knowledge, power. There is no way for you to, to comprehend the bigness and the grandness of who God is. But he also said, hey, Moses, come here. He is also among us. Matthew 1.23, easy to memorize because all you got to do is count to three says this, behold, the virgin shall conceive. We could stop there. How close is God to his people? Well, he was in one of them. She shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Why? Because it means God with us. So this holy God that is transcendent, that is above us, is also an imminent God. That is among us. When that AM radio kicks on or when your phone goes, -doo 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 -doo, warning, floods, imminent. What it's telling you is it's too late. <laughs> you, storm, imminent. You are no longer escaping. It is about to be in your mix. And God is both above, transcendent, and among, imminent with his people. Now, if you want to see something really cool about Christianity, this is why Christianity is different. Because we head nod to both. Almost any other religion, I want to say every other religion, but I'll be humble about this. I believe every other religion typically picks one. A lot of Eastern religions shoot with God as among us, spiritualism. We are all God in some way, reincarnated, you'll get there eventually, etc. and so on. Mysticism, etc. and so on, it's very Eastern. Islam, as well as what I would say is very much just deism, which means I believe that God, it's a fancy word for God started it and then he stepped away. That's what deism is. God started the whole thing and then he stepped away. That's how most Southern Americans live. Yeah, I believe there's a God. Cool. I just don't believe that he's that integrated in my life or needs to be. That would be he is transcendent. But Christianity says that God is both above and God is among. And we see that in Christ. We don't just see it in Christ. We see it from left cover to right cover of our Bibles. And then God does something amazing. Verse 12. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. Hey, God, that doesn't really answer my question. What I'm saying is, who am I? I 
I'm a murderer. I shouldn't have this job. You need to go and find someone else. And God's response to him is, I will be with you. You see, this is not the question that Moses was asking, but it was the exact answer that every one of us needs. It's not about who you are. It's about who God is. Moses did not need self-confidence. He did not need to get a trophy for every sport he ever played. He did not need to get a ribbon. He did not need to get an A in every class so that his confidence would be up and he could lead this mission. What he needed and what God knew that he needed was to be close with him. And so God said, Moses, come here. The Lord knows his people and wants to be known by them. He knows his people and he wants to be known by them. And that's why he tells us exactly who he is. Verse 13, Moses said, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What am I supposed to say? And the thought is that they never knew or had forgotten. And so Moses says, all right, so you're sending me. And I don't feel capable, but you're saying you're going to be a part of this whole thing. So I'm going to go. Now, when I go to my people and I say, hey, mm, sent me to you, who am I supposed to say? And God answers. And he says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Later on, if you look in verse 15, we read, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Now, if you have a Bible, look in it. At that word, Lord. Do you notice how that's in all caps? It is not because our church is serious, okay? It's because we write it differently in our Bible. So check this out. Uh, I think we can do this. I think, I think we can do this. All right, so give me the first one. So Yahweh is, is the name. Uh, when we read, I am who I am, it is actually Ehye. Do we have that? Oh, give me all three. Go, that's fine. I see what you're doing, Brenner. You're doing right. I'm doing right. These are the three words that we use for God. Now jump to the next one. Now what we see, Yahweh is Ehye. When he says, I am who I am, the literal translation, which, fit, which fits more of the people I hang out with, is I be who I be. That's what God is saying. I be who I be. And that, I, I'm not kidding. That would be a literal translation, all right? You think God doesn't smile on Sunday morning sometimes? I be who I be, and that is Ehye. But Moses can't show up to the people and say, I be sent me to you. And they're like, what do you mean? I, you, who? You? The, and so Yahweh is he be, he is, he was, he will always be. And that's where we get Yahweh from. Now, that is what you're reading if you're reading the Hebrew when you see I am, Yahweh. But then, and, and by the way, it's in the Old Testament like 6,500 times. It, it's all over the place. But out of respect, remember we want to be close to God without being casual with him. They would not use that divine name because they were afraid that they would be blasphemous. If you've ever had a kid that watched a PG-13 movie, you know how prone this is to happen. And so instead, they use their own word for Lord, which is Adonai. But when it's replacing Yahweh, 
in our Bibles, we put it in all caps so that as we read it, we know we're not just saying Lord as Pharaoh was Lord over Egypt or Lord of a castle or it was even used of shepherds over their sheep. And so we put it in all caps to say this is the divine name Yahweh being used respectfully. Interestingly enough, what happened was they would take the vowels out of Yahweh and they took the vowels out of Adonai and they slammed them together because, again, they didn't want to make a mistake. And when they got that, they ended up with, do we have that? Yehoah, maybe? Bruner, are you having a seizure? or Okay, good. All right. They came up with this. Anybody want to get bonus points to the camp store by telling me what that looks a lot like? It looks a lot like Jehovah. Just so you know, no Jew ever said Jehovah. Okay, that has happened through our translating and wanting to make sure that we were respectful of God's name and that we didn't take it for granted. Why am I telling you all this? Because all over your Bible is written the very principle that we see in Exodus 3, which is God wants you to be close. He does not want you to be casual. God wants you to be near him, but not to neglect who he is in his power. I want to show you one more thing. Before we close out for the day, if you would go ahead and look all the way in verse 17. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of, and then he names them again, a land flowing with milk and honey. God looks at Moses and he says, I promise I am going to do this. I'm going to use a busted man like you to do it. And the reason God can do this, this is why I kind of wanted to explain his name. When your name is, I be who I be, it's not saying, I might be. It's not saying, I once was. It's not saying, I could be. God is saying, I am. In your world right now, in your suffering, I am Lord over it. In your blessing, in your provision, I am over it. In your questions about tomorrow, in your curiosities about yesterday, I am is over it. He is over it and he is amidst it. And we read that this promise is going to happen. Uh, Tim Chester puts it really well. I'll throw this quote up. I've really enjoyed his study through the book of Exodus. He says, Because God is not constrained, because he is I am, because God is not constrained by others, we can be sure that he can deliver. But also because God is constrained by himself, I promise, I will do this. In fact, if you noticed, God's promise to Moses was, hey, Moses says, can you give me a sign you're going to do this? And God says, yes, when I deliver your people, you'll stand at this mountain. Moses was like, I need a sign. My sign is, when I deliver you. Moses had to be like, what are you talking about? I want to know that you're going to deliver me. And God's saying, that's the point. I want to put on display to you, Moses, to the people of Israel, to Egypt, and to the world from this day forward that I am who I am, and nothing can constrain me except me. And I am promising you, because God is constrained by himself, we can be sure that he will deliver, and he does. Verse 18, they will listen to your voice, and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, which would have made Pharaoh laugh, the God over your slave nation for 400 years. He would have giggled at that, some God. But why? Why use a nation of slaves? 
because God delights in finding glory in redeeming and using an unlikely people. He has met with us. And now, please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to our God. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. Now remember, suffering delivered and brought up. God is telling him, here's what it's about to look like. Go ahead and get excited, Christian, about what the next phase of your eternal life looks like. But don't forget where you live now. Be excited about tomorrow. But don't forget where you live right now. Verse 21, I know and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go... You're not going to go empty-handed. Each woman shall ask of her, her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. God is saying, hey, Moses, I want you, this murderer who is running scared, living a cushy country life, to go before the most powerful person on the planet. And I know that you don't feel capable, but here's my promise. I will be with you, and I am unconstrained by anything in this world. And when you step into that role, when you have faith enough to trust me, I'm going to show up in such a major way that the king who would have laughed at you having a God is going to give you anything that you want to do the very thing that I asked you to do. I will turn this world upside down to show you my love, my provision, my protection, my fatherness. To you. Let me close with this. In John 8 58, would you put that scripture up? We read this. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Just so you know, this was not a popular, this was not his most popular of speeches. Uh, because if you go to the next verse, what you realize is, go ahead. So they picked up stones to throw at him was not his most popular sermon. Why? Why did they be desire to stone Jesus? Because he didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. Jesus isn't saying, I'm 2,000 years old, as unbelievable as that may be. Jesus says, I am God. I am the one who is so far above, and I am the one who desires to be so close to you that you would hear me call out to you, Moses, fill in your name, and that you would recognize that though I am high above you, I am very much among you. My wife's uh, mother passed away a number of years ago. She was very young when she did. And I, I, I was pretty young in ministry at the time, and uh, our youth group went up to the hospital. Her mother had had an aneurysm, and uh, she was in the hospital. The doctors didn't have a lot of hope. And so we did what Christians do. We prayed. And we cried out to God just as God's people did. And I know that I know that I know that God heard, that he saw, and he felt our suffering. And if you ask my wife to this day what stands out to her the most of that entire experience, she will tell you this. The only thing that brought me comfort in that hospital room as we were wondering if my mother was going to live, the only thing that brought me comfort as we sang praises as they unplugged her, the only thing that brought me comfort when she was pronounced dead and a waiting room went into absolute 
torment and wailing was the name of Jesus. I cannot explain to you the way she can explain it to you. But Proverbs 18.10 says this. I'm waiting on you, Brunner. All right, no, I'm not. I didn't give it to you, did I? Thank you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Stokes, go ahead and come on up. When my wife's mother passed away, she said, I didn't have the right words to pray. I didn't know what to ask for. All I knew how to do was cry. I didn't know what a relationship was like with him. I didn't know if she was going to go into suffering or to be drawn up into eternal deliverance. But all I could do was say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And in that moment, she wasn't talking about a magic word or an incantation. What she was saying is, in that moment, I was calling out to the one whose name I am reminded me that in this moment, he is so far above me without forgetting me. He is so far around me and yet is powerful enough to do what he chooses to do. And I trust in that name. That's what Exodus 3 is asking every one of us. Do we trust in the name of God who is so far above and is so intimately acquainted and close to call out to him more than anything else? Father, I, I pray over us that we would worship as two different kinds of people. That's what I want. I want us to worship as people who are crying out to a God who is all-powerful and all-caring. If there are people in this room, and I know that there are, who are suffering in relationship, who are suffering in life, who are suffering in illness, I pray that they would cry out to you and that they would know that you hear them, that you love them, that you are close to them, that you are powerful enough to change it and close enough to love them through it if you don't. Father, I pray that we would have a group of people who can praise you as they look back over their shoulder as the God who not only is, but was and always will be. That we can praise with arms lifted high and voices that cry out because our God is I am the Lord forever and evermore. And Father, I also pray for the hearts that just need to cry out for deliverance. That their sins would be cleansed that the burden of living a broken life like Moses did, that you would let them know that you love to use an unlikely people. They are your favorite people to use. And that in this moment, you would walk them through the gospel of Christ who is powerful enough to cleanse them of sin and close enough to want to, that they would trust you. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Stand to worship. If you need prayer, I'll be in the back.